ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us this morning. I invite you to take your Bible. Turn with us to John chapter 14. We're going to be looking at verse 1 and verse 27. John chapter 14, verse 1 and verse 27, as we speak on the subject, words of hope in a hopeless hour. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And then verse 27, the Bible says, peace I leave with you. My peace give I unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now, as we begin our message this morning, I want you to notice the first phrase found in verses 1 and 27. Jesus says to his disciples, let not your heart be troubled. Those six simple words offered hope to our Lord's disciples in a hopeless hour. What on earth could be bothering the disciples so much that the Savior would say, let not your heart be troubled? Were their hearts troubled at this time? Well, certainly they were. Jesus has just told them of his impending death in chapter 13, verses 31 through 33. They had just learned that one of their number among them is going to betray Jesus into the hands of the enemy in chapter 13, verse 21. Simon Peter has just been notified that he will deny the Lord Jesus three times before morning comes. Yes, their hearts were heavy with sorrow. They were burdened with grief and questions. But even in this hour of his greatest trial, Jesus still loved his own. And he reached out to them to comfort them and to give them great encouragement. Now, it would be impossible to adequately cover every single detail of this wonderful chapter in one message. Still, it's worth our time to take a bird's eye view of this precious text today. In this great chapter, Jesus addresses some very important areas of life, and he offers us hope as well. In the hour of his greatest need, he takes the time to encourage the hearts of his disciples and of every person who takes the time to read and to heed these words from the lips of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to show you the areas of life where we have hope today. My friend, we have hope in the Word of God in a hopeless hour. Look in this world right now what's going on. 
There is absolutely nothing in this world that seems to have any order about it. Everything seems to be out of control, and everything is aligning up perfectly because God is still in control. He's never not been in control. Everything's lining up perfectly for him to gather all the nations of the world, which will be against Israel and against God himself during the tribulation period. Everything is in line and in order and in step in which God is planning. God is still on the throne. He's sovereign. Don't you ever think that God is out of control? That has never been and it never will be. But this world seems quite chaotic. My friend, we have great certainty in an hour of uncertainty. Changes and upheaval are all over our world, and it's left many people concerned about their futures. The economy seems to be in shambles. Superinflation is on the way. The world seems poised on the brink of war. People are losing and leaving jobs. Money will be tight. Prospects are dim, and for many, the future seems bleak. We're getting questions all the time as a ministry. What's going on in the world? What, how does this fit in Bible prophecy? There's so many troubled hearts in the world today. But I want to say to you, Jesus has a word for you. Sandwiched between verses 1 and 27 are some of the most needed words of hope and comfort of our time. And I want to give you those things this morning. Now, in verses 2 and 3, I want to show you that God says there's hope for tomorrow. The Bible says in John chapter 14 and verse 2, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. First, he details to the disciples in verse 2 that we have a heavenly home. Jesus tells us about a prepared place for a prepared people. While we cannot go into great detail about all the wonders of that heavenly city at this time, I want to tell you that when we arrive there, we're going to be and feel at home. We will dwell in the Father's house. We will dwell in the Father's presence. We will be free from sin. We will be free from sorrow. We will be free from suffering. And thank God we're going to be free from separation or any other thing that will hinder the glory of heaven. Now, I could never adequately describe the glories of that place. And I think Paul summed it up con uh, pretty well in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, where he says, I have not seen nor ear heard the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Now, that verse has every bit of meaning of what God has prepared for us in this Christian life. But listen to me. In application, this is very true. We have no concept of what God has prepared for us in that glorious city on that day when we see him. Now, barring the return of Jesus Christ in the rapture, the only way to get to heaven is through the door of death. Isn't it interesting that Jesus would speak of heaven as home? 
Often people are frightened by the prospect of dying. Yet for the child of God, death is not the end. For the child of God, death is not the end. It is simply a time to go home. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 8, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we could be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. My friend, this was the, the attitude of Paul, for he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 4. He said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one called up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was called up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which is not lawful for a man to utter. Paul had seen it. Paul had seen it. And he could not find the adequate vocabulary to describe what he had seen. So he simply said that whatever was over there, Philippians 1 and verse 23, whatever was over there was far better, far better than what we have down here. My friend, in simple terms, heaven is far, far better. Now, the Lord also lets us know that in verse 3 of John chapter 14, that we have a heavenly hope. In this verse, Jesus reminds us that there will come a day when he will return for his people. Now, there are some who do not believe in the rapture of the church. However, the Lord Jesus does and I believe I'll just stick with him. Paul sheds a little more light on this monumental event in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 and 52. Also in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. Now people may doubt it and men may mock it, but Jesus Christ is going to come again, and the best advice I have for you is to make sure that your salvation is ready. Make sure that you are ready to meet God. For in verse 3, God also lets us know that there is a heavenly homecoming. The disciples are upset by the notion that Jesus is going away. Therefore, he tells them that where he's going, they can come also. And thank God today, the, the greatest glory of heaven will not be the golden streets. It's not going to be the jasper walls or the angelic host. It's not going to be the crystal rivers or an endless day or even seeing those who have gone on before. Even the thought of all of these wonders pales in comparison when placed alongside that, that which thrills our heart down here on this earth. 
that thing that excites me more than anything else, that one wonder that I may anticipate is the day that I shall at last look upon the face of the one who has made all of this possible. Look upon the face of the one who died for our sins on the cross of Calvary. I look forward to the day when I shall at last have the opportunity to bow at his nail-pierced feet and shout his praises in the heavenly city on high. One day, we will join the glorified host of the redeemed in heaven to fall at his feet and give him glory as described in Revelation 4 and 5. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. John saw him and described him in Revelation chapter 1 verses 13 through 19 that he literally had to fall down on his face as a dead man. My friend, the greatest description ever penned about our risen Lord is in Revelation 5 and verse 6 where it says, And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. My friend, there's hope for tomorrow, but the Lord Jesus gave his disciples even more. And in verses 4 through 31, he would share with them that there is help for today. The Bible describes in verses 4 through 11 that there's help in salvation. For in these verses, Jesus tells his disciples that there is only one way, one plan of salvation for all mankind. And he tells Thomas that he is the way, the truth, and the life. He declares himself to be the only access to God for any man. And he goes beyond that revelation and says that he is in fact the very physical representation of Almighty God in verse 9. Boiled down to its very simplest terms, Jesus is the only means of salvation for all humanity. For the Bible says, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. All of these verses bear testimony to the truth and the fact that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. I realize this is a very narrow view for our day and time, but it is a view that is taught by the Bible. God's view on salvation is very narrow. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have the right to be wrong, but I wouldn't take a chance on it. Jesus Christ is the only one who purchased our redemption. According to Dr. Google, there are 4,400 world religions in a, the world today. But my friend, there is only one empty tomb, and that is the tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many believe there are many different routes you can take to get to God and to reach God. Yet the Bible makes it very clear that there's one way, only one way, that all men, all men must come by way of the cross through faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. Jesus blazed the trail from earth to heaven so that sinners might come to him by faith and be saved. That's the same 
message that's been preached since the cross. And it's the same message that will get people saved in 2021 because the message never changes. It's the word of God. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, the passage Jesus gives us threefold assurance. How can I be saved? Jesus said, I am the way. How can I be sure? Jesus said, I am the truth. How can I be satisfied? Jesus said, I am the life. Thank God, whatever your need is, you have the guarantee from God Almighty for your soul's salvation. And verses 12 through 14, as we live here and now in this world, we can rest assured that Jesus will aid us in his work. He gives us a threefold promise related to the matter of our service. Verse 12, he will honor us. Jesus declares that we will be able to do greater works than those which he did. What he means here is that they will be greater in quantity, but not in quality. When Jesus was here, he was limited to one geographical locality, location. However, when he ascended back to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit to indwell his people, he has the ability to be in many places working at the same time. While Jesus was on the earth, many of his miracles were physical in nature. He uses his children to bring the word of salvation to lost mankind. That's a tremendous miracle. For that which is spiritual is always greater than that which is physical. In addition, verses 13 and 14 reveal to us that he will hear us. Here we're given the blessed assurance that when we call upon the name of the Lord, he will hear us and will move in our time of need. It makes serving Jesus much easier to know that we do not serve alone, but we have his presence and his attention to our prayers. We serve a prayer-hearing, a prayer-answering God. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. But Jesus continues to add upon this heap of blessing, and verses 13 and 14, he's promised not only to hear us, but to help us. Not only does Jesus promise to hear our prayers, but he also promises to move in such a way as to bring about an answer to our prayers. He hears us and he helps us. And I'm glad that we do not serve a God who has left us to make it the very best way we know how. No, we serve a Lord who is able to help us by giving us that which we need daily. Verse 15, as well as verse 19 through 24, he gives us help for surrender. For in these verses, Jesus speaks about the area of surrender to him and his authority. And he declares that our surrender to him should be based in love. He shares two great truths that cannot go unnoticed. 
In verses 15, 21, and verse 24, he gives us the proof of love. Jesus makes it crystal clear that our obedience to him and his word is the absolute proof of our love to him. Our lips can say what they want, but until our lives match our lips, we're only deceiving ourselves. Secondly, he offers the promise of love in verse 21 and verse 23. The promise to those who are obedient to the Lord Jesus and his will for their lives is that he and the Father will manifest themselves to them. That is, the believer who walks in obedient and surrendered love will experience an influx of power from on high. The promise of love is that surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and it will bring with it great authority in the work of Christ according to Matthew 25 and verse 21. In addition, he continues to heap on the pile of blessing here and gives us information in verses 16 through 18 and verse 26 concerning the help in the Spirit. These verses tell of the coming of the Holy Spirit. We're given several truths about him and his ministry to believers that we must understand as much as we can. Verse 16 and verse 18, we denote his person. The Lord Jesus promised the disciples that when he went to the Father, he would ask the Father to send the Comforter. Now, the one Jesus calls the Comforter is none other than the Holy Spirit. There's some facts about this divine person that we must acknowledge. First, we see his title. He's called Comforter. It's the Greek word paraclete. And it means one who comes alongside of another to offer aid and comfort. It carries the idea of an advocate or an attorney. We see also his personality by the word another. That's the Greek word alos, and it means literally another of the same kind, the same quality. Jesus was a great comforter himself, but the Spirit of God is another comforter. He is one just like Jesus. Verse 17, we see his ability. Jesus has lived among these men for over three years. Now, even though he's going away, he is still going to be able to abide with his children. When the Holy Spirit comes, the Lord will not just abide with them, but he shall abide in them. Hence, Jesus has the ability to promise every child of God that he will never leave them nor forsake them, but that he will always be with them. Then in verse 16, we see his permanence. When the Spirit of God takes up residence in the heart of the believer, he comes in to stay forever. As long as this life lasts here on earth, the Spirit of God will never desert the child of God. He will ever be present and ever be guiding us as we walk through this wicked, sin-cursed world, he is a permanent fixture in our lives. But also verse 21, verse 17, and verse 26, we see his purpose. The purpose of the Spirit in the believer's life is manifold. These verses tell us about his plans for us and of his purpose in coming into us at conversion. Verse 17, he comes to indwell. At the moment of salvation, the believer literally becomes a temple of 
the Holy Spirit. God in the form of the Holy Spirit comes in and he takes up permanent residence. He lives in the life of the believer. He dwells in the life of the believer. Now take a moment. Let that truth, let that truth sink in. Our problem is that we become so familiar with the deep truths of the Bible, they no longer hold much luster for us. We fail to see the glory in the thought that God lives in our hearts. In verse 21, he comes to invest. That is, he fills us with the power to live and to labor for the Lord, and without him, we would be able to accomplish nothing for his glory. However, with him, filling us and leading us, we have the ability to accomplish things that we otherwise would be impossible. For Paul said, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengtheneth me. That verse has been misquoted and misapplied a myriad of times over our lives. That verse does not mean that you're invincible in your own strength. It means that you can do everything God has for you to do in his strength, in his power, for his glory. Verse 26, he's come with one purpose, and that purpose in our lives is to instruct us in the things of God. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches us about the Bible. It is the Holy Spirit who reveals the deeper things of God among us. It is He, the Holy Spirit, who teaches us how to reach our full potential for the glory of God. He is the divine instructor. Verse 26 of John 14, He's come to inspire. Again, we're reminded that He is an encourager, and when we become discouraged, the Holy Spirit in our soul rises up and wraps the comforting arms of heavenly love and protection around us and reminds us that we belong to Him. He encourages us to keep on running, to keep on going, to keep on living for Christ. He inspires us to press forward for the glory of God. In verses 27 through 31, we have help in stillness. As Jesus brings the thoughts of chapter 14 to a close, he speaks to the disciples who are troubled and their hearts are troubled once again. He reminds them that he is still the Prince of Peace and that just because he's leaving, that doesn't mean that he will remove his peace. May I remind you that we have the same assurance today. Our world is in complete turmoil. There's uncertainty all around. Yet through it all, the saints of God are possessed with a peace that defies all description. According to Christ, this peace is heavenly in origin. Therefore, it cannot be affected by the events of earth. Our response in the times of trouble is to lean on the peace of Christ and trust him to take care of his own. Instead of worrying, my friend, we should be resting. Jesus has loaded us with spiritual blessing, and we can take great comfort in that today. Thank the Lord for believers that have hope in what seems to be a hopeless hour. He's already given us everything we need, whether your need is for salvation, help for service, peace of heart, your remedy will be found in him. I invite you to come to Christ and cast your cares upon him. 1 Peter 5 and verse 7, casting all your care upon him for he careth for us. Whatever you may be facing today, you do not have to face it alone. 
Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.